when I saw that, my life changed. In that moment, I thought to myself, wow, I know a lot of relatives who've been working very hard, very, very hard. They make more than minimum wage, but none of them have a million dollars. And in that moment, it shocked me that like $100 could have done this. Welcome to the Reconnected Marriage Partners Podcast. Hi, we are David and Eben, your host on the show. We know what it's like to feel less connected as a couple while juggling the increasing responsibilities and demands of work, life, and parenthood. We also know what it feels like to achieve a deeper level of connection and intimacy in marriage while raising a family. If you're ready to reconnect on a deeper level, reignite the passion in your marriage, and enjoy a more exciting and satisfying marriage, even if you're raising children with limited time, this podcast was made for you. Be prepared to be empowered and inspired to build the strong and connected marriage you truly desire. All right, let's light up that spark. Come on! Hello, friends, and welcome to another exciting, enlightening, and empowering time on this show. Today, I have a special guest who will be talking to us about breaking the broke cycle, building generational wealth as a couple while raising a family abroad. Now, I know I didn't say, <laughs> I didn't ask how you're doing. Um, I'm, I am trusting that you are doing fine. And I really want to get into this interview because I know that it's going to change your perspective about money and investment. Our special guest today is Dr. Hans, who is um, an accomplished professional with a wealth of knowledge and experience in finance and investing. Simply put, an investment educator and wealth building strategist. He holds an MBA with a path of distinction and a doctorate degree. He grew up in Ghana in West Africa. When he arrived in US, he recognized the lack of investment literacy in immigrants and minority, especially in their households. Um, this world, his passion for teaching others how to build wealth. He spent 13 years mastering the subject of money and has worked with over 10,000 members. Dr. Hans has been featured on Bloomberg and Business Insider and is trusted by the communities he serves. And he's popularly known as the Investing Tudor. And I just want to welcome you, Dr. Hans, to the show. Thank you so much, David. It's uh, truly an honor to have the uh, opportunity to chat with you and uh, yeah, your audience. Uh, very much looking forward to it. Great. You know, I, I just want to go back to the first time we connected. Well, maybe before we connected, my wife used to play your podcast and you know, at a point I began to feel that maybe she has a second husband, Dr. Hans, because 
every almost every conversation had to do with Dr. Hans. Oh, Dr. Hans said this. Oh, Dr. Hans said that. And she just kept playing some of these things. After six months, <laughs> I decided, you know what? Okay, let's give this man a call. And we went into that 15 minutes call. I think that was in June 2020. And after that call, I was able to get um, we were able to get the generational wealth program and later the stock growth workshop. And honestly, that meeting and these programs turned the trajectory of our finances, especially in the area of investing. And I just felt, you know what, there is, we need to get you on this show so that you could also do something similar to our audience and to our community. And so we are really, really glad to have you here, Dr. Hans. Oh, thank you so much. Yeah, um, as you you were sharing, it took me back to when we first spoke and you, you told me about, uh, you know, your wife and listening to the podcast and always uh, talking about me and it took me back, right? It's a full circle moment. And now, you know, being here, being able to to share with your community, I think that there's a lot that we can understand about money and wealth building that will free us. And I believe this information is often kept from people in our community. So very much looking forward to, you know, diving in and, uh, and having this conversation. Great. So my first question for you is, I know you've talked about going from the is it the um ten percent wow. to the top one percent and yeah. we'll we'll really appreciate um hearing your story. How did you climb the ladder of financial success from the bottom ten percent to the top one percent? Yes, um I often share my story. you know, life started in Bronx, New York. We immigrated from uh, Ghana, West Africa. And um, as you all know, you know, the story, most families come to the U.S. in search of greener pastures. <laughs> but the story is fascinating because when we were in Ghana, we were in the top 10%, right? Because, and and for individuals who've lived in um, Ghana or Africa, you'd, you'd appreciate what I'm about to share which is if your parents, you know, have some kind of higher education, so college degree, right? And they're able to land like a really good job with a secure company, more than likely you will be in the top 10%. And that was the case for my dad. He grew up in a village, but he was one of the top two students in the village. So he got a scholarship to go to Germany. And the host family that took him in, the gentleman's name was Hans. So I was named after that uh, gentleman. Um, so that's why we were top 10% in Ghana. But when we immigrated to America, we went from top 10% to bottom 10. And if you're wondering if my parents made any mistake with their finances, they didn't. All they had to do was convert their money from Ghana cities to dollars. <laughs> <laughs> And by doing that, you lose about 80 to 90% of your value and purchasing power. And that's what happened. So when life started in Bronx, 
uh, we lived in a two-bedroom apartment. Another family, it was a husband and wife with two kids. They lived in one room. And then my family lived in the other room. And we shared the, you know, living room, the the bathroom. It was a one-bathroom uh, apartment. Very humble beginnings. I share this story because I want individuals to understand if I could make it from bottom 10% to reach the top 1% without any special connections, without, you know, and, and climbing that ladder of success or financial success here in America, I believe any and everyone can do it, but it's not going to happen quickly. That's one thing that most people are they're in a hurry <laughs> to try to pursue some quick way to achieve success. It's not going to happen quickly. So I just want to first share that. <laughs> and second, it's going to require a lot of sacrifice, mindset shift, change, right? They say, if you don't change, nothing changes. <laughs> some individuals want to stay the same and think that for some reason, things will change for them. It's not going to happen. If I could pinpoint one thing that truly puts me on the path to getting to 1%, I'll say the word is desire. <laughs> I had a desire to want to be better. The truth is not only wanting to be better, I wanted to be wealthy. Because of that desire to be wealthy, it forced me to want to learn how wealth is built. So often, if you have a desire for something, that is the first step to unlocking, right? Whatever is required for you to move towards that. So yes, that's kind of like a summary of, of, of kind of the beginning. I mean, to quickly run through my story, I went on and did a doctor of pharmacy, you know, degree because my mom wanted me to be a doctor. <laughs> <laughs> Then from there, I did a path of distinction MBA program at William & Mary. And then I, in 2016, I realized that no one, oh, I also forgot to mention, <laughs> between 2009 through 2016, I studied over 500 books as of now and over 50,000 financial journals. Back then, I used to say, 400 to 40,000, but you know, it's, it's, <laughs> yeah, time's gone. Absolutely. Um, so in 2016, I realized that for our community, immigrants, minorities, right? Individuals who aren't born into rich and wealthy households or individuals who aren't building wealth here in America, I realized that no one has committed their life to teach us and show us the way. And uh, yeah, that's when I took the leap of faith. I truly believe it's a calling. And I mm -hmm. committed my life to want to help people in our community understand how wealth is built and uh, yeah, be able to shift from right wherever they are stuck financially in their lives to whatever they dream or aspire to, to, to have or become. 
Thank, thanks for for sharing your story. I think one keyword you did mention is the having that desire um, and change and mindset change and mindset mindset shift. Because I I know in our community, uh, even as immigrants, we need to think differently from what we were thought in the past, and and which will kind of lead me to. My next question, you know, I, I remember speaking to my dad about stocks, you know, shares and all that many years ago. I think that would even be probably before we left Nigeria or maybe just when we left Nigeria. We've been here now um, in Canada for about uh, close to 15 years. And I think it was probably when we just came and I said, oh, you know, dad, you know, what are your thoughts about stocks, shares, and all that? <laughs> and he referenced that, um, oh, I remember what my own father had. In fact, how much is it even now? There's nothing there in it. So why did you, and I know it's probably the same story with many African parents and all that. So why did you choose stocks? Why NFTs? Why, you know, Bitcoins? Why, and, and maybe an additional one would be, why not real estate? Because that's where people feel that, you know, the money is. <laughs> you ask a phenomenal question. Here's a fact that most individuals don't know. When you look at the top 10%, of income earners in America. They own about 98% of all stocks. This is the top 10%, right? Mm. Somewhere like upper 90s percent of all stocks. <laughs> if you look at real estate, do you know who owns majority mm. of real estate is the middle class? <laughs> I'm not saying that means real estate is bad. No, no, no. I'm just trying to have you understand that the richest individuals in America have a majority of their wealth in the stock market. They hold three times more stocks than they do real estate. And when I, and this, this is data that I saw on the, U.S. Federal Reserve website. Once I saw that, I was like, wow, everyone is going around talking about real estate is the way you build wealth. <laughs> and so I went to go and do some research. Like, why is there a discrepancy? And I realized the, the truth. So yes, yes, real estate was created mainly as an asset to lift the middle class. If you were to go back to 1940s, and your listeners can go to Google and search for this, the average price of a house in 1940 in America, so three-bedroom, two-bathroom house, the average price of the house was $3,000. The actual <laughs> amount is like two thousand nine hundred and thirty-eight thousand, right? So about three thousand dollars for an average house in nineteen forty. Today, 
2023, the average house is $425,000. So you see that exponential growth from $3,000 for, for an average house to $425,000, right? So most of our generation, when we are looking at that growth of real estate, the simple thing that our mind tells us is, if real estate has grown this much in this amount of time, then it means that I need to also buy real estate because it's going to grow at a similar rate. (laughs) That is a very um, lazy way of thinking. And that's not how wealth is built. And let me share with you why. For real estate to grow at about 140 times, which is what it did, going from 3,000 to about 425,000. For real estate to do that from now, over the next, let's call it 50 to 70 years, it means that the average house will be $51 million in, (laughs) in about 70 years, if it's growing at the same rate. You and I know that's not, that's not <laughs> happening. So that means that real estate is not going to be growing at that rate. Does that make sense? Yeah. So what I did was I went back and then I looked at kind of the track record, like how is or what is the progress of that wealth building? And I noticed that it is in cycles. So if you go back, the best assets to have purchased or owned in 1940 was real estate. Then when you look at early 2000s or late 1990, like 1991, 1992, 1995, you notice that the best asset to have owned around that time was stocks, specifically technology stocks, right? Amazons, the Apples, the Googles, you, you, you know. So, and and the individuals who owned the right asset at the right time benefited from exponential growth in terms of wealth. So I've been looking for what is the next opportunity for us. And what I'm sharing with you, it doesn't mean that real estate is not good. No, real estate is okay. And that's the word. It's okay. (laughs) Stocks is better than okay because, you know, real estate, we're talking about something from 1940, 1950. Stocks started to pick up around like, you know, late 90s, early 2000s. So stocks, it's not really, it's still relatively new, even though it's kind of old. But compared to real estate, it's a new kind of technology, especially with tech investments. So I've been looking for what is going to be the next asset class? Lo and behold, 2016, <laughs> I, I discovered this thing called Bitcoin, a digital mm-hmm. asset. Immediately, I said, oh, it's a scam because how can, how, can, how can something just be going up exponentially? It didn't make sense. And the thing about Bitcoin is it, grow, it goes really high, then it falls about like 80%, 70%. It's like, oh, this thing is definitely a scam. So I ignored it. And here's the thing about Bitcoin. 
almost everyone who encounters it for the very first time will more than likely say it's a scam because it doesn't make sense if you look at it from afar. Mm -hmm. So I ignored it. But the thing about Bitcoin is you can ignore it, but Bitcoin (laughs) is not going anywhere. It's still going to be around. So in 2017, I noticed that some of the richest tech billionaires came together and they were putting close to a billion dollars into crypto. And in that moment, I was like, wait, 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 wait. (laughs) These are smart individuals. They've built some of the best companies out there. They are creating a fund to put money into this thing that me, I'm saying is a scam. Unless I know more than them, I need to (laughs) consider changing my stance. So I did the right thing, which was to go and educate myself. What I discovered changed the trajectory of um, my journey. I discovered the next asset class that over the next 10, 20, 30 years, in my opinion, is going to generate that kind of 100x wealth (laughs) that many people buying real estate today think (laughs) that they are going to get, which is a pipe dream. Mm -hmm. That type of exponential growth is literally in this asset based on my calculations. And I'm not saying it's a 100% certain. I like to say... To me personally, it's a 99% certainty. And here's why. If you look at the total value of the stock market, it's about $100 trillion globally. If you look at the total value of real estate, it's about $400 trillion globally. If you look at the total value of gold, right? Just gold. It's 10 trillion. So gold is 10 trillion. Stocks, 100 trillion. Real estate is 400 trillion. I want to ask you a very basic question. You might know, maybe you might not know. What do you think crypto or Bitcoin is worth? Probably in the trillions. So how how many trillion? Just (laughs) pick pick. Uh, Let's, let's, I'll go maybe 900 trillion. I don't even know what is after 900 trillion. (laughs) 900 trillion. That's pretty impressive. So what you are saying is you believe Bitcoin should be worth more than real estate. Yes. Wow. That's impressive. Very, very, very impressive. Let me share a fact with you. Bitcoin currently is less than one trillion. It's less than one trillion. Less than one trillion. Okay. <laughs> so what that means, I just want to allow you to see what that means. What that means is that if Bitcoin becomes 10 trillion, which is what gold is, whatever someone is investing into Bitcoin now will grow by 10 times just by it matching what gold has done so far. So far. If Bitcoin is to um, grow to 50 
trillion, which is half of the stock market, right? So yeah. let's imagine Bitcoin is 1 trillion right now. I know it's less than 1 trillion, but let's say it's 1 trillion. If it gets to half of yeah. the stock market, that is 50 times whatever someone is investing now. So if someone invested $1,000 into Bitcoin, if Bitcoin matches half of the stock market, that means the $1,000 would be worth, what, 50000 If someone had invested $10,000, the $10,000 would be worth 500000 <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. See that? Yes. Now, let's look at if Bitcoin is worth half of real estate. Real estate is, let's say, $400 trillion. So half of real estate is $200 trillion. <laughs> <laughs> that means you have to multiply whatever someone is investing by $200. Yep. So $1,000 becomes $200,000. Mm. $10,000 becomes $2 million. And that is even for Bitcoin to be half the value of real estate. Uh, states. Now, let's take it back to the beginning. Your, your, your father, mm. right, was brushing off kind of stocks. And I completely understand why. When you look at foreign markets like Ghana, Nigeria, other countries, mm. These stocks or shares are denominated in a local currency. Often, the value of these currencies are depreciating. So you are holding an asset, but the (laughs) currency within which is denominated is losing value. So not only does the company have to do really well to grow, but they are fighting the currency devaluation as well. Yeah. So it's very difficult to identify the best type of companies to invest in. So what does, you know, or let me put it another way. What do our parents do? They find the one thing that is scarce in our country. Mm-hmm. And the number one scarce thing that everyone needs is a place to stay. Yeah. So individuals who are buying land or when you hear your parents say buy land, it's, it's not because land is just this perfect thing. It's that land is scarce. And also people want it. Meaning if you ever wanted to sell the land, you are going to have a willing buyer, assuming that that plot of land is somewhere desirable. And the thing about land is because it's scarce, you cannot make more of it. It holds its value. Let me share with you. You see, I'm going layers deep here. (laughs) Let me share with you why land appreciates in, let's call it, and land appreciates everywhere. The same way we saw the U.S. real estate grow yeah. by 140x, right? Mm-hmm. But that 140x is denominated in dollars, <laughs> <laughs> right? Yes. When 
land appreciates back home, individuals think that it's because their land is becoming more valuable. They don't realize it's actually the opposite. The money that was used to purchase the land (laughs) is becoming worthless. Mm -hmm. Now, I'm not saying that the land is not gaining value. Sure, it's scarce, you know, so there is some growth there. But the true reason why the land is becoming more valuable is because the the money in that economy is is devaluing. The same thing happens to the dollar. It's just that back home, our currency devalues at a much faster rate. That is why we, we look for scarce assets to put our money in. So our parents preferred land because... They know it's scarce. Once you buy it, you own it. And if you want to sell it, more than likely there's going to be a buyer. Imagine if our parents, or imagine if our parents had the opportunity to buy a property like land that was digital. (laughs) And I want you all to think about it. And I'm not talking about some imaginary digital land. No, no, no. Or, or the metaverse. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm saying imagine our parents could buy a property or something that is scarce, but it is digitally scarce. And also it's desirable, meaning people want it. Like if you want to sell it, you have buyers. You have buyers. Now, imagine if you didn't have to go and look for buyers like you have to do for real estate, (laughs) right? Mm -hmm. And imagine if you can sell just 2% of the property instead of if you have to sell a house, you have to sell all of it, right? So imagine you can sell 2% of it or 5% or 1% and you can keep the rest, Imagine if this property, you never have to renovate it. You don't have to do any work. You don't pay for electricity. You don't do it. You just hold it and it is scarce. What I'm describing is Bitcoin. Mm -hmm. Most individuals do not understand. The reason humans want to have something that is scarce to buy. Why? Because they... They believe that it's going to maintain value. Yeah. If you have something that's scarce and also other people want it, that combination is where you can see just absolutely amazing uh, uh, growth. So that's that's the reason kind of um, why I teach about stocks and also why I'm a big believer in Bitcoin and, and, and digital assets. Hey, thank, thank, thanks for taking us through that, um, Johnny. I, I do know that um, you you can't go really deep into it in in the time that we have. So we'll be talking later about how the people can connect with you and get your programs and all that. And 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 so I'll I'll like to move into homes now and marriages now. We, we do know that money is one cause of failed marriages. And I'm not even talking about 
poverty now. <laughs> I'm talking about wealth. Um, you know, at times some people get into wealth and their marriages begin to crumble. You know, according to CNBC, a, a financial upswing can also pose challenges in marriages and long-term partnerships. So how then can couples grow wealth together without it causing a strain in their relationship? I heard this quote once and I thought about it and uh, I realized it's true. The quote is that people often marry their financial opposites. (laughs) (laughs) The the saver is going to marry the spender. Spender. (laughs) The investor is going to marry the saver, right? Or vice versa. Um, and uh, yeah, in my household, I'm like a massive investor. My wife is massive saver. And um, it's been fascinating. <laughs> and I, I'll tell you a story shortly. But to answer your question, I can see how there will be turmoil, whether finances is going up or finances is going down. And most people will be like, wait, if finances... It's moving up there. Everything should be great. Well, imagine if finances is going up, but someone wants to save more of it and, and another <laughs> wants to spend it. You can oh, see no. how. Another one wants to invest it. <laughs> Absolutely. Another wants to invest it. You can see how that can, can cause challenges. Hmm. What about the reverse, where hmm. there's a lack of financial security because there isn't enough finances? And imagine if, the person who is the saver is looking at the funds and they're like, the reason we are in this position is because you didn't let us save more. So now it's your fault. You are to blame for it, right? Mm. Um, I say that to share with your audience and listeners that more than likely you are with a financial opposite. What that means is that you have to appreciate each what each individual brings to the table. Mm. In 2022, the crypto market had one of the biggest um, market corrections. We saw Bitcoin fall about 70%. Technology stocks fell about 50 to 90%. Before 2022, I had invested everything. I invested everything. I'm the investing tutor. Yeah. (laughs) When that correction happened, because of, you know, FTX and a few things. And that season came where I saw the portfolio pull back 50 to 70%, which sometimes, you know, every given take seven to 10 years, there's a market pullback. Often that is the greatest opportunity. So in 2022, when I saw that pullback, first and foremost, I've been investing for, like 
almost 10 years now. No, no, no. Almost 13 years now. I bought my first um, stocks in like 2011 or so, right? So almost 13 years now. And that massive move even caught me by surprise. (laughs) (laughs) And in that moment, guess what? My wife is the big saver. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I mean, my wife is a big saver. Imagine if I had convinced her and like we all plowed our money into the (laughs) markets. Right? So the biggest lesson I learned in 2022 is the the balance, that yin and yang, Mm. that partnership, it is so important. You need the investor and you need the saver. You need the spender because you cannot just hoard everything and not experience the life you are working hard for. You need the spender and you need the saver, (laughs) right? Everyone plays a role. Like I have learned to appreciate saving more than I ever have at any point in my life. In 2022, when I was speaking with um, my mom, I was like, mom, this year has taught me something incredibly important. She's like, Hans, that's the best way to learn. Best way to learn. Mm. Now you look at 2023. Mm. My favorite stock is up over 300%. (laughs) (laughs) Bitcoin is up 170%. This other stock is up close to 200%. So now the investor is back on top. But imagine if everything and in 2022 from my end everything was in the market (laughs) (laughs) right so this year i'm like oh the investor is on top but i've learned to appreciate both so if anyone is listening i just want them to understand that more than likely they are with their financial opposite and the way that they figure things out together is is going to be so important and and so valuable um yeah thanks thanks for for sharing sharing that story it's it's very interesting how this opposites you know when we have these opposites in our lives things happen now we begin to appreciate why this person is opposite to us because it can it can really be a blessing, you know, uh, in, in many cases. Um, I, I remember a couple who, you know, was, had invested, you know, so much and, and, you know, the, the wife was saying, oh, don't, don't um, pull out this thing. Or I think don't pull it out. Don't pull, don't pull out the stocks. Don't pull it out. But because he wanted to, he 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 decided to do that and at the end of the day he lost a lot of um money i think the stocks were low at the time and of course there was a huge <laughs> increase and you know regrets and all that and and so 
I think at times it's, it's important we listen to our spouses and come up with a plan and have that balance, I, I think is, is, the great, is the great thing thing there. The balance is key. It really is. Um, and there's a reason why um, God created us this way. It, yeah. it really is, right? There has to be the two um, to balance each other out. Yeah. And in so many ways, it is when one person tries to be very dominant, that's where there becomes a problem. problem. Because if you are dumb, imagine if like, I, the fascinating thing is I always respected the fact that my wife is a saver, even though I used to make fun of her. And, and I'm not saying she's a saver, but she doesn't invest. She invests, but she has a huge saving stack, like, you know, yeah. and I'm like, why would someone save money you're you're making at that time it's like you're making close to less than one percent on your money why would anyone save a lot you know mathematically it doesn't it doesn't add up it doesn't add up till you go through 2022 <laughs> i hear you i hear you I, I i did watch those talks you know fall and and i'm just like oh my oh my but but that was when we also bought some other ones that's you know, have shut up even at this time. And, 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 and so I, I am, you know, mindful of time and, and I want to go to the next question. You know, in, you know, many persons have taken up life insurance, of course, so that when they pass on, they can leave wealth for their children. I, I know what your stand is about this. Uh, um, but I want to know, does, does this really break the broke cycle? Why or why not? Why, why would life insurance be the way out? Or why would it not be the way out? It depends on the type of life insurance policy. Okay. Right. Life insurance, its purpose is incredibly valuable. It is meant to be an insurance on an individual's income or an individual's life so that God forbid, if something happens to them, a certain amount of money is paid to, right? The family. So the idea is phenomenal. And the basic life insurance is supposed to do that. Mm. And I'll give you an idea of what the basic life insurance is. The basic life insurance is if you are paying $30 a month for someone in the vicinity of 30 to 40 years, $30 a month, you should be covered up to half a million dollars in life insurance. $50 a month, 50, five zero. You should mm-hmm. be covered up to a million dollars in life insurance. These types of policies are called term life policies. Okay? okay. So the idea is phenomenal. The, the life insurance uh, industry got greedy. <laughs> they were looking at investing and they were like, ah, wow, these investment people taking all of their money and all of their clients. So you know what? We are going to create life insurance and then we are going to mix it with investing. So we're going to and have life cost. insurance and investing. Right? <laughs> <laughs> and we are going to make it so complicated that the average person is not going to understand. So we are going to pitch this life insurance to them as an investment. 
even though the average life insurance policy grows somewhere around 3%, give and take. Obviously, it depends on the markets and all of that, but I'm factoring in multiple things. The average policy grows at about 3%. I'd say in a great, during a great, great time, maybe mm. 4%. Another thing most people don't know, these types of policies that mix in investing with life insurance, the first year, all of your payments that you make, majority of it, almost all of it, goes directly to the one who sold you the policy and also to the insurance company. So literally, if someone was paying $1,000 every month for a life insurance policy, yeah. they might look into their life insurance policy account and realize maybe there's $1,000 in there. Or maybe there's $2,000. Or maybe there's $0. After paying $12,000 for a year, that year. Mm. That person might not understand. Because when they sold them the policy, they told them, you're going to build wealth. <laughs> <laughs> Someone was building the wealth. It just wasn't you. <laughs> right? Right. That money was strategically being siphoned from your family and from your pockets and being deposited into someone else's pockets. I'm not saying life insurance for all people is a horrible idea. You yeah. have to look at what it is that you're buying. If you're buying just a pure life insurance policy, like I've described, a term life, fixed period of time, you're getting X amount of dollars. It's a few 20, 30, $50. Amazing. It life insurance is, is not, wasn't created to build you wealth. It's there to ensure the name says life insurance. <laughs> like, it says it in the name. Hmm. Like you cannot make something that's called insurance into what a wealth building to it. It wasn't created to build wealth. The person selling it to say, oh, but this rich and wealthy family uses it to pass. It is a phenomenal vehicle to be able to pass on wealth tax-free to the next generation. But you, sir, or you, ma'am, you will don't not be the one. <laughs> you don't have any wealth. So you should be focused on creating the wealth. So that when it becomes a headache for you to figure out how do I pass this wealth tax-free, now we can sit down and look at possibly life insurance with the investment components. And do you know why it works for those rich and wealthy people? Because for them, they are not buying it to figure out what they can get while they are alive. Yes. They already have their money. <laughs> they are worried about how it's going to move to the next generation. We have to figure out what <laughs> we are going to get while we're here. Mm. So I can, I can dive in even deeper, but I just wanted to, you know, emphasize life insurance is meant to protect income. So that if God forbid something were to happen, money is, 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 is paid to the family. With that being said, people who are getting life insurance for their kids, <laughs> that's a whole different topic because like your child doesn't have a household that they are, they need to protect their income against, right? Like 
So that is a whole different topic. <laughs> but hey, a salesperson will sell. Never ask a barber if you need a haircut. <laughs> <laughs> That's that's a good one. <laughs> okay, you know you you you're talking of um, generational wealth now, and and I do know, like I said, I did take that program, and and so what what actually is generational wealth? What what does generational wealth um, mean, and is it actually achievable, especially to to um, can immigrants actually achieve it? Thank you so much for the question. <laughs> the first time I discovered investing, it was when I found something called a compound interest calculator. It's a calculator that looks at how money grows, right? Yeah. So I went and looked at the U.S. stock market. What is the average return the stock market has been growing at for the past 100 years? And I'm talking about average return. So I'm not talking about the best, just average. Average. If you have very little knowledge about investing, (laughs) average is where you will be, right? That number is 10%. So I asked myself a very basic question. Can someone who is earning minimum wage in America, $7 an hour, can they retire with $1 I went into the compound interest calculator. If you do the math of how much this person is earning in income, it's about $1,000 a month. The formula for wealth building is invest 10% of your income. 10% of uh, $1,000 is 100. So I went into the compound interest calculator and those listening can go and input this and see it for themselves. $100 a month. This person starts investing from the time they are 18 years. They retire at 65. That is 47 years. If you put in 0.02% growth, which is how much savings accounts nowadays are paying (laughs) who are hoarding their money in a JP Morgan Chase, Bank of America, Wells Fargo, they are paying 0.02%. If you do that for 47 years, you'd have $56,000. When you change that 0.02 to 10%, it's 1 million. When I saw that, my life changed. In that moment, I thought to myself, wow. I know a lot of relatives who've been working very hard, very, very hard. They make more than minimum wage, but none of them have a million dollars. And in that moment, it shocked me that like $100 could have done this. So is generational wealth possible? Absolutely. And if you change the 10% to a higher percentage, because I said 10% is average. If you change 10% to 15%, the number is actually $6 million. $6 million. David, that's generational wealth. It, it is money that you cannot spend in your lifetime. 
six yeah. million dollars. Can't spend it all. The Bible says a good man or a good person leaves an inheritance, inheritance. for your children's children. Mm-hmm. I think uh, this is a, a phenomenal place to end this first, and I know it's going to be uh, many uh, conversations on, on this topic, but it's been an absolute honor and a delight to share this information with your audience. Thank you so much, um, Dr. Hans. I, I we really do appreciate you making out time. Do you have time to tell us how we can reach you and get your products? Absolutely. Um, so before I share with you, I had this conversation with my wife once. My wife is like, you need to sell your products more, like, you know, sell it more. And I'm like, you know, and he's like, she's like, when someone messages you, you have to follow up with them. You have to, you know, my wife is pushing me, right? Once again, the yin and the yang. I'm very <laughs> and I told my wife that I have a, a very basic principle. I do not force people to build wealth. Let me explain why. Because when they build their wealth, they are not going to come and give me a portion of that money. (laughs) So I will never force anyone to build wealth, but I will share with them the benefits, the life-changing impact that comes with building wealth. The way it can transform their lives and the lives of multiple generations. So with that being said, I encourage each and every one of you to please take investing serious. The moment you discover how to allow your money to work for you, it means that you are learning how to remove yourself from the equation. Most people don't know how to make money without them, their time and their energy being involved. Investing is that thing that replaces you. The moment you see money grow without your effort and the time, that in that moment, you know that you've achieved financial freedom. There are many ways by which you can learn. For me, it took me, what, almost 10 years to study all of those books and all of those financial journals. I don't want others to spend 10 years. That's why I create the programs and, and, and the services that I have. So with that being said, I have two main services. One is generational wealth. That's for individuals who are more comfortable with self-study, watching video lessons, being a part of a group, text message, community. You get weekly emails on what's going on with the markets. And sometimes we host Zoom classes as well. So generational wealth. And I don't want to give a price because 2024 is around the corner, right? (laughs) You know, prices can. (laughs) But do note that I will extend to you all the best rates that I have. Just mention that, you know, you you heard uh, me on, on, on the podcast or on this episode or on this. Uh, and, and The I'll- Reconnected Marriage Partners podcast. Yes, yes, yes. And I'll be more than happy to extend you um, a very generous discount. So that's a generational wealth program. I also have private tutoring. This is for individuals who are really serious about wanting to build wealth and they are not looking to 
play around. They are like, hey, I want to come directly to the source. I want to work with you. I'll be honest, it's a few thousand dollars um, because I work with you for a month, right? Um, but if you're someone who, you know, prefers one-on-one, that avenue is there as well. And yes, I'll, I'll be more than happy to extend you a discount, um, you know, if, if you uh, reach out. But yeah, with that being said, I'm, I'm also available on Instagram at The Investing Tutor. I'm available on X, formerly Twitter, at Investing Tutor. And Facebook, at The Investing Tutor. It's been an absolute delight and an honor uh, to be here with you all. Thank you so much for the invitation, uh, David. And uh, please send my regards and uh, and genuine love uh, to Mrs. <laughs> sure, sure will do. And there you have it. That's the investing tutor, Dr. Hans, helping us understand how we can break the broke cycle. And so with that, thank you so much for listening. And we'll look forward to having you tune in even for our next episode. Thank you so much. And we say God bless you and yours. Stay connected. Shalom. If you like that emotion, please don't forget to leave a review to spread the love. Hi, friend. If you've been inspired or found value in this episode, one of the best ways to thank us is to leave a written review on Apple Podcast. We would love to hear from you. Please feel free to share this episode with friends and family. And together, we can build stronger marriages, families, and communities. Stay connected. Shalom.